Hey, welcome back to the channel. My name is Seem Lund and today we're doing an Instagram Q&A. If you want to ask me a question, then make sure you follow me on Instagram at Seem Lund. Do it. All right. So first question, will I reach my old age if I still eat junk and soda <laughs> and 80% uh, rule? So uh, I think he's referring to the 80-20 rule that uh, what matters most is what you do 80% of the time than the 20% of the time and uh, most of the results in terms of health and longevity could also be uh, kind of mediated or caused by 80% of the things that you do. So to answer your question then first of all ultra processed food consumption and uh, sugar sweetened beverages and sodas they are associated with uh, shortened uh, life expectancy and shorter lifespan so they increase mortality risk how much depends of course whether or not you get diabetes whether or not you gain weight and whether or not you get metabolic syndrome theoretically you know if you're a person who stays at an optimal body weight optimal body fat percentage and optimal optimal biomarkers as well you don't have diabetes you don't have insulin resistance you don't have any heart disease you don't have any hypertension and you're lean you exercise you have muscle etc and then you eat a little bit of uh, junk food and drink some soda then theoretically you can still get away with it probably a little bit I do think that it's much harder to maintain that or to achieve those optimal biomarkers, uh, but it's possible theoretically because, you know, the junk food, the negative effect, negative health effect of junk food comes from it giving you diabetes and it making you gain weight. And if you don't gain weight and if you don't have diabetes from eating those things or drinking sodas, whatever, then, um, you know, I think there is still some epigenetic factor as well in terms of how these foods affect your epigenetic age beyond calorie restriction but the effect is probably much smaller compared to the actual, um, you know, weight gain and the diabetes. Because, you know, people who have relatively clean diets, they still die prematurely sometimes to cardiovascular disease or metabolic syndrome or being overweight, even if they're eating like a clean diet, so to say. They're not, obviously, they're not <laughs> that meticulous with their diet, but they're eating like whole foods. Like most of the grand, like boomers <laughs> or whatever, they they don't eat like a super bad diet, but they're not eating like a healthy diet either. They eat whole foods, but they might eat too much fried food. They might eat too much processed meat. They might drink too many calories. They might drink too much alcohol, etc. So um, yeah, like even on a healthy diet, you can gain weight. Even on a healthy diet or a whole foods diet, you can get diabetes. But if you eat like a very ultra processed food diet, then the likelihood of you becoming diabetic is much higher. And if you avoid that, you maintain good biomarkers by being very physically active and maintaining a calorie deficit is the key here. Then you can get away with probably a little bit. Although I would still, with all things equal, like twins, a twin who uh, eats the perfect pristine diet and maintains the same calorie intake, maintains the same biomarkers and health versus another twin that eats a junk food diet, maintains the same like you know calorie intake, then there might be some uh, worse effects in terms of the biomarkers. The difference might be only very small, maybe 5 or 10%, um, because the vast majority of the effects come from the calorie restriction and the calorie intake. And whether or not the those calories are processed or natural food, they may have like an additional 5 or 10% uh, difference. That's personally what I think. But at least based on the science right now, uh, the most important thing for the longevity is that you don't get diabetes, you don't become overweight, and uh, that you don't develop metabolic syndrome and develop heart disease or things like that. Those are the biggest things that you need to focus on. And you can get diabetes, you can gain weight even on a healthy diet. 
So it doesn't have to be a junk food diet. It's just that the junk food diet is much more likely to make you diabetic and make you gain weight and develop, you know, visceral adiposity and those kind of things. And this is very interesting because I saw a few days ago, I saw a YouTube video about this 109-year-old U.S. war veteran from World War II who uh, is 109 years old, but uh, he smokes 12 cigars a day drinks four glasses of uh, whiskey a day, eats ice cream every night, <laughs> drinks only soup and canned mushrooms and those kind of things, and uh, and wakes up at 2 a.m. and drinks four cups of coffee when he wakes up. So, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, it goes to show that you can get away with a lot if you have good genetics. Obviously, that person has very good genetics of not getting heart disease and not getting cancer. Um, but uh, even then, I think, you know, it's still possible to survive for longer with like a suboptimal diet as long as you maintain good energy balance and good physical activity levels and good sleeping patterns and those things it's just that the healthy whole foods diet is is going to make it somewhat easier at least that's what i think and you don't yeah you don't need to be 100 percent strict like eating a burger once a week or something like that having like one bad junk food meal per week isn't gonna eat you faster isn't gonna give you diabetes as long as you all the other rest of the weeks you're in good health now the problem with this is that the people who do incorporate the junk meal into their week those individuals don't have all their like ducks in a row if that makes sense those individuals who tend to have the junk meals also tend to not be that strict during the week uh, and uh, they kind of just instead of instead of like keeping themselves at baseline with the junk meal they actually become worse from eating the junk meal because they're not really that lean they're not really that healthy with their biomarkers and they think that adding the junk meal is going to be okay the junk meal is okay probably for like high level athletes and uh, people who are already lean and who don't have any any aspects of diabetes or any aspects of poor cholesterol and metabolic syndrome if you have pre-diabetes if you have somewhat bad glucose tolerance you have some extra fat to lose then adding the junk meal is not making anything worse or it's not making things any better and you know whether or not it's going to be harm in the long term is arguable but it's not making things any better and you don't really you can't really get away with it uh, for too long at this what i think this episode is brought to you by zbiotics zbiotics is a probiotic drink that breaks down the byproduct of alcohol which is most responsible for rough mornings after drinking it's commonly thought that dehydration causes the horrible feeling in the morning after drinking. However, it's actually the buildup of a toxic byproduct of alcohol in the gut called acetylaldehyde. Zbiotics break down acetylaldehyde by producing an enzyme in the gut. Zbiotics doesn't make you feel less intoxicated or prevent a bad night's sleep, but it does prevent the sluggish feeling after drinking. Zbiotics is FDA compliant and tested. The only ingredients are water, patented probiotic blend, and natural flavoring. It's available only in the United States and comes with a 100% money-back guarantee. Get 15% off your first order of Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic by clicking the link in the description box and use my code SIEM, S-I-I-M, at checkout. Go to zbiotics.com forward slash SIEM or scan the QR code on the screen right now and get 15% off on your first order. Next question, how to avoid refeeding syndrome after a fast? So refeeding syndrome, it sounds like the idea of overeating, which isn't true. Like refeeding syndrome actually refers to this rapid shift in electrolytes that occurs after breaking a fast. So if you're fasting, your blood electrolyte levels tend to drop because you're not eating any food uh, unless you're taking like electrolytes or salt. 
then your blood salt and mineral levels electrolyte levels drop and if you eat something that raises insulin then insulin is gonna shuttle those minerals and electrolytes into the cell because they you know obviously insulin that's the insulin's job that's what's supposed to do that but because your blood electrolyte levels were already low the insulin shuttling the minerals to the cell leaves your bloodstream even more depleted of the electrolytes than it was before and as a result of that you 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 can even die to that so like the refeeding syndrome this very rapid shift from electrolyte balance imbalance that can be uh, lethal and uh, usually it happens yeah if you break a fast that is you know several days if you break if you break a fast of 16 hours 24 hours then you have nothing to worry about that generally unless you are already very deficient in electrolytes or dehydrated but if you break a three-day five-day fast then the risk of refeeding syndrome in the sense of this electrolyte imbalance is quite high and uh, to prevent that you just need to make sure that you uh, before breaking fast you make sure that you replenish your electrolytes which uh, involves you know taking electrolyte powder or just drinking salted water or mineral water in the fastest state and ideally not breaking the fast uh, with something that raises insulin so you want to break the fast uh, low glycemic that keeps the insulin lower and that prevents this you know uh, rapid shift in the electrolytes so yeah that's what i always do even if i do like a short fast i try to break the fast with low glycemic carbohydrates and um, in the fastest state before i break the fast also make sure that i consume like uh, mineral water or electrolytes next question tend to be low on iron how to hold up with iron and get more copper so uh, yeah first of all iron deficiency anemia it can be caused by iron specifically or it can be also caused by inadequate copper so copper helps with uh, iron absorption and hemoglobin production which you know iron deficiency anemia is mostly caused by hemoglobin deficiency not necessarily iron deficiency so you need to pretty much make sure you have produce enough hemoglobin and you for that you need iron as well as uh, copper iron foods it's easy just eat red meat um, and uh, liver is also pretty high in uh, iron and the liver also has copper so you pretty much get everything that you need in terms of the anemia and hemoglobin production from uh, liver you can also get copper from uh, seafood mollusks oysters and those kind of things uh, there's copper in uh, dark chocolate a little bit beans and there's a little bit of iron in dark chocolate as well so those kind of foods generally are what you want to eat to uh, improve the iron status next question uh, sweet potato fries or zucchini fries and why <laughs> so um, i think from a taste obviously sweet potato fries are better they taste better uh, they make more sense to be eaten as fries zucchini fries uh, i don't think of or i don't remember having had zucchini fries but i would say i mean zucchini fries are probably healthier in that sense because they're lower carb lower calories and that they might be more protected against the uh, the the advanced glycation products that you might produce if you overcook uh, sweet potato fries for example so i think uh, yeah zucchini fries are healthier unless you're like a highly highly physically active for a post-workout the sweet potato fries are obviously better sweet potato fries taste better as well they have more micronutrients in that sense you get more vitamin a and vitamin c and potassium from sweet potatoes than zucchini but zucchini is is kind of a safer bet in terms of that if you if you eat if you choose like okay i want something crunchy i want something that resembles fries then uh, zucchini is the better option but if you're looking for more nutrition or post-exercise recovery muscle growth then uh, sweet potatoes are better in that sense what pre and probiotic supplements are you 
top. <laughs> I'm I'm not any of these uh, pre pre and probiotic supplements. Um, I'm an actual alive organism full of trillions of microorganisms. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what's the best probiotic supplement? Uh, the best I think out there is like seed. So the seed symbiotic daily symbiotic. That's the best kind of whole spectrum. Unless you have like any specific. A microbiome issue or specific deficiency in certain strains of bacteria then like a good safe bet for daily use is the seed daily symbiotic uh, for a prebiotic uh, i prefer to use prebiotic foods so like leeks onions uh, as asparagus artichoke and uh, those kind of foods uh, chicory root like inulin is this natural sweetener that is used in a lot of uh, you know protein bars or other uh, these low calorie uh, desserts so inulin you get mostly from chicory uh, so uh, yeah you can use you use these kinds of things and uh, yeah inulin can cause like some gastrointestinal stress for some people but uh, yeah i i generally just eat add a little bit of like onions and uh, th these kind of foods into my food Next question, would you recommend wearing the blue blockers at sunset during spring or summer for circa? I, I guess that's for circadian rhythm alignment. Um, so if if the sun is setting outside, then, I mean, don't use any blue blockers. <laughs> don't use any glasses. Just look at the sunset. That's going to be the most powerful circadian rhythm, uh, you know, optimizer or aligner. And uh, the sunset isn't going to disrupt your sleep either because the wavelengths you get from the sunset is predominantly this amber orange and red so it doesn't have almost any blue or green light which is going to suppress your melatonin production and which is why you would want to use the blue blockers but you shouldn't use any blue blockers <laughs> when you're looking at the sunset even if it's summertime and the sun sets like very late like 11 p.m um, i mean you can still go to bed at the normal time like i usually go to bed around 9 or 10 p.m uh, even in the summertime so um, yeah but i'm not using any blue blockers when the sun is setting i will i might use the blue blockers if uh, i'm gonna s check some something on my phone before bed or if there is some sort of uh, light in the room but if it's summertime then chances are you don't need to use like the lamp uh, or these kind of lights in your uh, bedroom either so you can just use the natural sunlight to lighten up the room and you know dim down the filter this the screen uh, brightness with these filters uh, as well so that's and definitely you don't need to use like blue blockers when you're looking at the direct uh, sun or the sunset next question biohacking approach for anxiety supplement list is it genetic or environmental so uh, there are some genetics to anxiety of course but i think a lot of it is you know stress and um the environment so if you drink too much coffee then of course you're going to get anxiety <laughs> if you have work stress all the time or some sort of um, like other relationship stress whatever people stressing you out causing you anxiety <laughs> then that's obviously something that uh, you need to figure out first like that's the environmental aspect and uh, you know when it comes to like actual supplements then there are like a few supplements that i think could you know improve uh, symptoms of anxiety or at least with the stress component so uh, you know first of all make sure that you're getting enough magnesium that's quite important not getting enough electrolytes can cause you know this uh, stress and anxiety there are this specific one one supplement that i do like is by gorilla mind 
and uh, it's uh, the uh, cortisol blocker. So that's actually also works pretty good. It has like different kinds of herbs and stuff uh, that um, help to lower cortisol and relax. So that can be probably quite effective. But yeah, like if you drink just very sensitive to caffeine or you're just not sleeping well enough, then make sure you reduce the caffeine intake and uh, maybe herbal teas can help with that as well. But from a supplement side, then yeah, like the most likely thing is uh, magnesium, electrolytes, and maybe like deficiency in omega-3s, for example. Next question, should I take collagen if I already consume a lot of gelatin? So gelatin, beef gelatin does contain a lot of these collagenous amino acids and it has glycine as well. So it depends on how much gelatin are you eating. <laughs> so if you're taking like you would need to be taking like at least 20 or 30 or 50 grams of gelatin a day to uh, get um, and i mean the difference is also the bioavailability so this collagen supplements hydrolyzed collagen peptides uh, low molecular weight uh, collagen peptides specifically those uh, are the ones that actually reach the cell and reach the tissue where it needs to be so they are mo more effective than collagen from food by far the collagen supplements you know as much people would like to deny the effectiveness of supplements when it comes to peptides then it's undeniable that the collagen peptides will be more bioavailable and they will have a bigger biological effect on your system than uh, getting like bone broth or eating chicken drumsticks or uh, eating beef gelatin for that matter uh, which doesn't mean that you shouldn't consume these collagen foods of course you should because you do get at, like the amino acids from there as well that help with collagen synthesis uh, but the collagen peptides at least for the skin aging the only peptides that work for the wrinkles and reversing skin aging appears to be yeah like low molecular weight hydrolyzed collagen peptides you know it can be beef hydrolyzed collagen peptides or marine doesn't matter even eggshell membrane can contribute to that but uh, it needs to be low molecular weight and hydrolyzed peptides so these uh, generally gelatin it's it's just two big molecules basically but you do get like other benefits for the joints and uh, just helping with collagen synthesis uh, endogenously by providing the um, precursors so i do think that it's worth to take both like uh, you should add at least like 10 grams of hydrolyzed collagen peptides into your day that's an easy win as a daily longevity supplement and then you can just add a little bit of more extra beef gelatin or just eat a lot of other uh, collagenous uh, foods next question why creatine for women so um, i mean there's no reason why women wouldn't need creatine i mean creatine is uh it's kind of an essential nutrient or your body produces creatine it's needed for essential functions and uh, i mean women using creatine would see very similar benefits uh, than men like they would see increased muscle strength increased muscle mass increased cognition better brain health slower brain aging better methylation and bone health and uh, you know many things so uh, i mean there's no reason why women wouldn't want to take creatine and uh, you know they're not gonna get <laughs> as big as men they're not gonna get bulky as men because it's you know virtually impossible unless they are taking some sort of uh, steroids and anabolics so women they have so much less testosterone than men and less androgens that even if they try very hard like a um, completely dedicated uh, fitness enthusiastic women who lifts weight very often they want to build muscle they're not gonna even build that much muscle as uh, like a as a man who is just half-assing it <laughs> like a, a man who is just you know half-assing going to the gym and not taking their diet that much that seriously they can do the same workout but the man is half-assing it 
and uh, the man is still going to build more muscle because they have more testosterone, they have more androgens. So yeah, like even if the woman is taking creatine and the man isn't taking creatine, then uh, the man is still going to build more muscle, probably, most likely. So there's no reason why women wouldn't want to take creatine. It's just going to have a positive effect on their body composition, uh, muscle strength, and other aspects of aging. Next question, thought on replacing collagen with proline, glycine, lysine, and vitamin C. So, um, you know, collagen has also hydroxyproline, which is uh, also needed for the collagen synthesis. Of course, the biggest important uh, amino acid there is glycine, but, uh, I mean, you if you just take collagen, you're going to get all the three main amino acids that involve in the collagen synthesis and collagen turnover. So I don't think there is no benefit in taking these amino acids separately, especially if you leave, leave out hydroxyproline. And uh, vitamin C, yeah, it's a good idea to combine collagen with vitamin C because uh, the vitamin C helps with collagen turnover and actually synthesis as well. So yeah, the ideal stack is to just take collagen hydrolyzed collagen peptides uh, with some uh, vitamin C and but if you and I think also that adding a little bit of extra glycine is also uh, more worthwhile because you you don't get like that much uh, glycine from the collagen and glycine just has so many other benefits that uh, you would want to add like additional three or five grams of glycine at least into your day no matter the diet or no matter your collagen intake next question what is best vegan protein source well my own opinion is that the best vegan protein source in the world is a uh, crump which is the plant-based hemp uh, granule that uh, i helped to co-found and uh, launch in here in estonia so it's 80 percent hemp and 20 percent pea only two ingredients literally nothing else no oil no preservatives no even not no even salt and um, yeah it's very high in protein per 100 grams it's actually twice as high in protein than beef so it's uh, super high protein, it has some fiber, it has a lot of magnesium and potassium as well. So yeah, hemp is something that most people can tolerate very easily. It's hypoallergenic, it's very easy to digest. It doesn't have uh, lectins like to similar to the soy or something. And uh, it doesn't have yeah, this xenoestrogenic effect as soy. So yeah, the highest protein source in the world right now is the crump. And um, it's also generally the best bioavailability compared to the other potential plant-based proteins out there right now. If you are interested in trying out the crump, then uh, check out naturistfood.com. Next question, how to tackle seed oils if we stay in any dorms or hostel? They use only seed oils. Is it by taking omega-3s? So, um, you know, the harm of uh, the seed oils can come from the excess omega-6 intake so if you just get too much omega-6 in instead of omega-3 so you want to have a balance of at least four to one uh, or two to one ideally two being omega-6 and one omega-3 and i mean the best ratio would be like one to one but two to one is acceptable with health so uh, that's one side of the harm so yeah you can counteract that by taking like an omega-3 supplement or taking cod liver oil or just eating more fish but um that's only one part of the problem. The second part of the problem is also the lipid peroxidation uh, that the the seed oils can cause inside your body. So if you cook them or you just heat them up in high temperatures, then they can become oxidized and they're already pretty much oxidized by being in the bottle. So they're prepared in very high temperature and humidity and uh, pressure, which uh, oxidizes them pretty much instantaneously. And uh, all the seed oils generally are oxidized on the shelves. So uh, the, there are like ways to counteract it. I don't think that the lipid peroxidation even is, is, is something that you can live with or you can certainly 
manage with with that your body can have many of these antioxidant defense systems that actually counteract the lipid peroxidation and make it safe likewise the same applies to these advanced glycation end products so your body just needs a strong antioxidant defense system which mostly involves glutathione and superoxide dismutase and catalase so you just you need to eat plenty of uh, protein to uh, feed into glutathione you can take supplements like uh, glycine to also support uh, glutathione NAC NAC glycine combo and uh, you can take vitamin E specifically to counteract the peroxidation of the fats and I mean there's all these polyphenols in plants uh, vegetables fibers they also counteract lipid peroxidation and advanced glycation in products so if you're just eating steak cooked in all this uh, seed oils then yeah that's pretty oxidized you also get a lot of AGEs and you also get the carcinogens from the charred meat so that's the worst combo you can do eating uh, charred overcooked steak cooked on cast iron skillet on uh, cooked in uh, these uh, seed oils that's the worst combo because you need something to counteract the iron, you need something to counteract the AGEs and something to counteract the seed oils. And for that, you need vegetables. <laughs> Plant polyphenols are the most, one of the most potent, like, protectors against seed oils. And if you're forced to eat seed oils to a certain amount, then you certainly have to include these uh, plant polyphenols, a lot of vegetables, and uh, even things like uh, rosemary, herbs, spices, thyme, uh, season your food with that. That reduces the AGE formation. And uh, you can drink like even coffee or teas as well to bind to some of the iron to counteract the AGEs. I'm not sure about the lipid peroxidation, but uh, I mean, green tea and coffee also boost your antioxidant defenses. So yeah, just incorporate different kinds of plant foods when you are eating those foods. And from a supplement side, you can take, yeah, like rosemary, thyme and vitamin E with glycine as well as spirulina. Spirulina actually also binds to the lipid peroxidation end products as well as uh, AGEs. Next question, what would you do if you had low cortisol? So uh, yeah, that's uh, quite an interesting situation. Usually the low cortisol, you know, depends when. You don't want to have high cortisol before bed. That's good if you have low cortisol at that moment of the day. Usually if you have low cortisol, then the issue is if you have low cortisol in the morning. So in the morning, you should have the highest rise in your circadian cortisol levels. So you start to produce cortisol around uh, starting from 5 a.m. and peaking around 8 to 9 a.m., somewhere around there, and then it drops down. So if you have very tiredness in the morning, you feel tired, lethargic, and you don't, you know, you don't have any energy to get up, then chances are you're not producing enough uh, cortisol, or first, you can also have like bad sleep quality. But uh, let's say you have low cortisol, then that usually comes from the circadian rhythm misalignment. So your body naturally is supposed to produce cortisol in the morning, and if it's not, then you suffer from some aspects of circadian mismatch. Because sometimes that second wind can come later in the day. Like, you feel tired in the morning, but you get the second wind around 11 a.m. or uh, 2 p.m., for example, for some people, and that second wind comes from, yeah, like the circadian mismatch. So in the morning, you know, you have to reset your circadian rhythm and that involves just getting exposed to bright lights after waking up. So you get up, you go outside, try to get bright daylight into your eyes. Of course, don't look directly into the sun or something like that. Just gaze at the sky and just all the luminosity from the environment is going to be a huge, the biggest circadian cue for uh, realigning your circadian rhythm and starting to produce cortisol. You can also do some things like in the short term, like cold shower or even mild exercise, going for a walk, going for a jog to, you know, start to produce some cortisol and uh, wake yourself up. 
But uh, yeah, that's what the biggest thing is the light. You shouldn't drink, you know, coffee immediately after waking up. Uh, but in individuals who have low cortisol, I wouldn't see like a, an issue to even drink even in coffee immediately after waking up uh, either, because you know coffee does raise cortisol slightly, and it can help to at least realign some of the circadian uh, rhythms. In the long term, what you want to do is wait at least two hours after waking up before you drink coffee to prevent some of the crash and to allow your natural cortisol production to wake you up instead of the coffee. But if you have low cortisol and you're tired after waking up, then uh, in the short term, drinking some small amounts of caffeine can be good to boost your cortisol and uh, wakefulness. But in the long term, wait two hours after waking up. Then during the daytime, you want to, you know, gather more sunlight exposure <laughs> into your body so that uh, you would be able to fall asleep more easily as well. Because that sunlight exposure helps you to produce melatonin at night. So you walk around outside, maybe even do some exercise, do some cardio. And in the evening, you want to go to bed, block blue light before bed so that you produce melatonin and ideally get a good night's sleep that rejuvenates you and keeps you refreshed and awake. And in the morning, follow the same pattern of getting the bright light exposure. And over time, after a few days, your body would realign its circadian rhythms and get you back on track all right, so the last question is, what about xylitol? Uh, I use uh, stevia, but just wanted to know. Uh, so yeah, xylitol is uh, one of the sugar alcohols used as a sweetener in gums, as well as some desserts. So xylitol is uh, the one of the few uh, sweeteners that actually does disrupt the uh, microbiome. But that, that disruption isn't actually pathological or it doesn't cause dysbiosis um, they actually act as a prebiotic in some cases so uh, there are studies showing that it's a uh, you know feeds some of the bifidobacteria that is associated with health so it doesn't cause dysbiosis but it does or it may cause like some gastrointestinal issues because of that prebiotic effect and maybe some people may get diarrhea or stomach pain or something like that if they consume too much uh, xylitol but overall xylitol is pretty uh, safe it does have some calories, so it's not uh, zero calorie sweetener. Um, it's not as sweet as uh, aspartame, or it's not as sweet as uh, sugar. Uh, but it, yeah, may have like some mostly most of the issues with like gastrointestinal stuff. So if you just chew gum that has xylitol, then that's probably safe. There's no most people won't have any symptoms to that. But some people may get like some uh, gastrointestinal stress or stomach issues from taking too much xylitol if they get it from like desserts or some bars or whatever that have xylitol as a sweetener uh, stevia as well stevia may it's, it's generally safe yeah it doesn't have any it doesn't raise insulin or it doesn't raise blood sugar and uh, it uh, it may even have like anti-inflammatory properties that's good for blood sugar regulation but most of the artificial sweeteners yeah there's no like you know they uh, in some uh, some individuals who have glucose intolerance or insulin resistance they may cause some uh, aspects of like insulin release but um, most of the uh, artificial sweeteners don't really even raise uh, blood sugar levels as hell and most of them are metabolized very fast that they don't stay in the in the colon or they don't cause any dysbiosis actually yeah like did a lot of research about all these uh, sweeteners for my next book with dr james uh, which is going to be about uh, blood sugar and yeah i looked at and there's very little evidence to suggest that 
these uh, sweeteners actually have any you know harmful effects on diabetes or insulin resistance they actually may help with that by reducing the calorie intake of these people uh, but the exception for the gut microbiome is saccharin and uh, sucralose so those uh, sweeteners have a slower digestion rate and they stay in the colon for longer which is why they can cause dysbiosis and uh, sucralose is also one that can cause some aspects of like insulin resistance or some you know signs of uh, glucose intolerance in even healthy individuals but i mean in those studies they tested by giving these people this oral glucose tolerance test where they drink like 70 grams of sugar in a in a glass or something like that and i mean almost anyone can have like a poor glycemic response to that and it might be that combining sucralose with carbohydrates makes it uh, worse in terms of the insulin sensitivity but uh, overall the meta-analyses suggest that the most of the sweeteners yeah i mean in moderation they don't have any harmful effects and uh, from the gut side, then only a very few handful of those uh, sweeteners may have some dysbiotic effect. All right, that's it for this uh, Q&A. If you want to ask me a question in the future, then make sure you follow me on Instagram at Seamlund. Other than that, thanks for watching this video. Make sure you click the like, subscribe, notification bell as well. My name is Seam. Stay optimized, stay empowered.